News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 27 of the Luke Messiah Show. Guys, I want to get right into our conversation. Uh, I'm excited about it today. I got a chance to sit down with Daniel Friend, who is a new reporter at The Texan. You can go to thetexan.news to read more about all things uh, Texas politics related. But Daniel uh, is somebody who showed up at The Texan and immediately started writing about the Pardo case, um, which is the con- uh, controversial CPS situation going on where CPS went and removed a child from his parents' home. Um, and there are all sorts of questions flying around why they did. Um, and they got a court order, even though the child was not in imminent danger, even though the doctor that uh, filed the CPS allegation or accusation against the parents said that there was no imminent danger that the child was under, and yet they went and ripped that child out of the home anyways. And now those parents are fighting for custody over their child. And so we dig into that. That is one that the Texas Homeschool Coalition and other parental rights groups have been very involved in. And Daniel has been on the front lines reporting on this issue, one of the few publications doing so. So I uh, got a chance to sit down, uh, pick his brain on all the things that he knows and how he sees this situation and what both sides in this uh, conversation are saying. So without further ado, I want to get you to a quick word from our sponsor and then to the conversation with reporter Daniel Friend. Thank you. Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy, patriotacademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Messias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com, we're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. So welcome to the Luke Messiah Show. This is episode 27, and I am joined here by reporter at the Texan, Daniel Friend. Daniel, thank you so much for taking time to sit down with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I asked Daniel to come on because he is somebody, in fact, he's the probably the only reporter that I've seen sit down and just thoroughly follow the current CPS case that's causing a lot of controversy all around Texas um, with the Pardo family. And so I asked Daniel to sit down and kind of give our listeners um, a little bit of the background of what's going on there. Uh, I have mentioned it here on the podcast, but for everybody who's listening, uh, Senator Bob Hall has done some pretty extensive writing on this issue and the Texas Homeschool Coalition, I know, is leading the charge. And so you can follow either the senator or the Homeschool Coalition on that. Um, But really wanted to take a second to 
introduce this story to make sure we kind of have the fact pattern laid out and then also talk about where we're at now. And, um, and this is a, a story that I think anybody who cares about parental rights um, or just uh, one of the largest Texas, um, you know, state agencies and their actions and whether they should be held accountable should be interested in. So Daniel, why don't you just kind of give us a little bit of a background of this story? I know you've done the most extensive writing on it and, uh, and where we're at at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm a fairly new reporter at the Texan. Yep. I started last month and this was actually the first story that I wrote on. So come in first day, this is what I'm writing about. Yep. Find out about this case. So call a few people around. I talk to you to get the, the basic details of it. Um, and then started talking to people associated with the family, Krista McIntyre of Family Rights Advocacy, who's been helping with them. Um, and then I think I got in contact with Chris Branson then too, possibly. Mm-hmm. I don't actually remember. It's been a while. Um, <clears throat> but basically what has happened is CPS has removed a four-year-old child from the home of Ashley and Daniel Pardo. Um, that happened on June 20th. And the family knew that CPS was doing something because they had contacted them a few weeks before that, but they hadn't really told them anything about it. So the family's like trying to figure out what's going on with CPS. Like, why did they contact them? So they they already had a lawyer. They had Kristen McIntyre mm-hmm. helping them. And then on June 20th, CPS shows up at the door and removes the child. Um, so the really confusing thing for the family at that point was they didn't know what their allegations were. Um, hmm. They had their lawyer and Krista McIntyre had tried contacting CPS uh, repeatedly, asking for the allegations. Um, mm-hmm. CPS, the the caseworker, refused to answer Krista and, and Ashley. And then the lawyer tried. Once the lawyer got involved, um, he tried asking the caseworker for the allegations. Caseworker said no, so he took it to the supervisor. Supervisor said no. He um, took it up to I think it was the the lawyer of the region. Um, and didn't get a response from them either. So, and this was just him simply asking for a list of the allegations made, not the yes. name of the accuser, yep. not any of that. All mm-hmm. you're saying is, what is being said about me, mm-hmm. right? What accusations being made about me regarding the way I'm treating my child? Yeah. yeah. And uh, our understanding is that typically those type of requests are granted. Do you Have you yeah. dug more yes. into that? Do you kind of understand so, where is the controversy um, on that issue? Yeah, so CPS policy is to notify the family of the allegations, Yep. what the allegations are. Yep. They didn't do that in this case. Hmm. Um, looking back on it now, I think part of the problem with CPS is that the allegations are really vague. Hmm. Um, so after all that happened, after they... The child was removed after, you know, weeks of going on. They find out that the allegations are for medical child abuse, hmm. um, commonly referred to as Munchausen syndrome by proxy, or you can reverse that Munchausen proxy by syndrome, or they name it a billion different names. Okay. Uh, I think it's also called factitious disorder imposed on another. FDIA okay. is what the the technical psychiatric term is. Got it. Um, and so it's just like. Um, and, and if the accusation was something like, you know, sexual molestation or physical abuse, it would make sense that you might, prior to informing the parent, consider removing that child, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you, it, it, at least in my mind, it seems like if you're sitting there and you have a situation where you go, hey, we think this child is being significantly abused, mm-hmm. we, and that's the idea of, yeah. of removing this child. But in this situation, the detail and the fact pattern that's come out is the fact that the, the accusation was that they were essentially, is it, is it that they're 
treating their child for diseases that it doesn't have? It's yeah, kind of so my understanding. That's, that's a good understanding of it. Um, basically, what Munchausen is, is uh, a caretaker. Usually, it's a mother of a, a toddler. Mm-hmm. And um, a young toddler, mother, oftentimes has background in medical uh, stuff. And what they're trying to do is uh, basically make it seem like the child has certain diseases or things that they don't actually have. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of trying to get sympathy from other people, trying to build some kind of relationship with a doctor or something strange like that. Um, the cases are really rare. Mm. Um, part of that is because it's very hard to determine if someone is intentionally trying to mislead doctors about yep. an illness or something. Um, so it's not really easy to determine. Like, how do you know where, where do you cross the line of it's just an overproductive mother who's really cares about her son and mm-hmm. read something on the internet that says that th- th- these are the symptoms that he has. Maybe he has this. Can you look for this? Yep. And like, where's the line between that and trying to force the doctors to diagnose them with something? Yes. yes. So, <laughs> so the, the child got removed and, and in that process, CPS is required to basically go to a judge and get a uh, a order to remove. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm using the right yeah. technical terms, yes. but essentially they're trying to get a court order to remove the child. And in so doing, they have to, they have to convince that judge that this child is in imminent danger. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. I mean, cause the, the goal is not to remove children just cause we'd like to talk to yes. them. The goal is you've got to tell me as a judge that this kid is in danger of getting harmed imminently. If we do not remove them now. Mm-hmm. And so what do we know? Cause I know there was a 14 day hearing mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of people talked about what transpired at that hearing and what did we kind of glean from, uh, the situation at that point? Yeah. So from talking with people who were there, uh, a lot of different people, um, I think the, the big thing is, you know, they, they had six different witnesses there. I think there were about six. There was the parents, there was the caseworker, the caseworker supervisor. There was also the doctor who um, wrote the affidavit mm-hmm. um, that was used in the emergency court order removal. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so what happened was on June 12th, or no, no, June 7th was when um, the doctor was contacting uh, the CPS caseworker. And so... <clears throat> The, the doctor was saying, hey, I think that this mother or the, this family might have be medically child abusing, however the, the verb is. Um, and we would like to have Drake Pardo be brought into Children's Medical Center and have him reviewed by doctors to see if the parents are actually misleading us or what the mm-hmm. deal is. So the, the doctor was telling the caseworker, let's try and get him in on Monday, the 10th. And so that's when the caseworker went to the door. No one was home, so they left a business card. Yep. The family gets there. They see the business card. They're kind of, okay, why is there a CPS business card on our door? So the mother calls the um, the mother calls the caseworker. The caseworker says she can't really meet then, mm-hmm. so they'll have to reschedule a meeting on the 10th. Um, now, the caseworker didn't tell the mother that uh, – the doctor wanted the child to be taken to the hospital. Um, But they were able to reschedule a meeting, which I found was kind of odd. And so over the weekend, the family got in contact with Krista McIntyre, a family rights advocacy, and they're like, what are we supposed to do in this situation? So she kind of helped them through the process. 
Um, they tried finding the allegations. Caseworker refused to give it to them. Um, so they actually canceled the meeting on the 10th. Uh, and then during that time, or about that time, they also found out that uh, the family was part of the Texas Homeschool, Texas Homeschool Coalition. And with them, um, they they support families who have problems with CPS. So mm-hmm. uh, their lawyer, Chris Branson, uh, started representing them. And so the lawyer then tried getting the allegations as yep. we know it went over. Um, the caseworker, meanwhile, apparently um, was trying to get in contact with the doctor mm-hmm. to let them know that they couldn't the child couldn't be taken to the hospital. The doctor was out of the office from like the tenth to I think the eighteenth. And so then the the doctor calls the caseworker back on the eighteenth and says, "Hey, why isn't the child in the hospital? why Why wasn't he admitted?" Um, you know, the caseworker's response is basically they're not cooperating. Mm. Um, and so the doctor then uh, agrees to write an affidavit uh, saying like expressing her concerns. And so she writes that um, the caseworker compiles the affidavit, uh, puts in um, her own concerns, and then brings that to the court on the 19th. Uh, and then they get a court order for emergency removal, and on the 20th that happens. So that's a little bit of the details that came out at the hearing about that process behind the what the family did not know was going on. Um, yeah. Um, and so the 14-day hearing is, is basically where CPS gets to um, make a case for whether or not they continue to keep the child or not in some form or fashion. Is that mm-hmm. kind of the goal of that hearing? What, what's the purpose of the hearing? Yeah, from my understanding, that's the purpose of the hearing. Like it's to it's the adversarial hearing. They bring the family to the court so that they have a chance to um, kind of testify on why like they are innocent. And so that's why – and then the – the court also investigates like everyone else involved. So the doctors um, that were there as well. And is CPS at this point saying that they still believe that the family has Munchausen, that they're medically abusing their child? Did the doctors uh, testify to that in court? What do we know there? Um, Yeah. So this is where the term medical child abuse gets really vague uh, because the doctor uh, who made the claim uh, on the stand said that it wasn't actually Munchausen that she was accusing them of. She mm. was like, it's medical child abuse. And so I think the difference that she was trying to show was that she's not trying to diagnose the parents of having uh, Munchausen. She's not trying to say that that's intentionally what they're trying to do. Yep. She's saying more of the results are medical mm. child abuse and the child is getting treatment for things that he doesn't need. Um, the specific thing in this case uh, is has to do with feeding. Um, mm-hmm. So Drake Pardo, according to the family, has had feeding problems since he was born. Mm-hmm. And so they had one GI doctor from Children's Hospital from 2015 to 2019, and um, they had seen other specialists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Drake was developing, he's developing rather slowly, and so he's having these feeding problems, which have gotten really bad this year um, because he's a growing child. He needs to keep his weight up mm-hmm. um, to stay healthy. Um, but if he's not eating solid foods normally, then that's kind of a problem. Yeah. Uh, so they see some specialists. The specialists, uh, according to the family, uh, say that um, he needs some kind of feeding tube. Hmm. And so <clears throat> um, I think it was kind of understood by them that they, that this was going to be a permanent solution, that um, they needed a, a permanent G-tube, which has to go through a surgical process. Okay. Uh, now, the usual uh, method, from my understanding, is that before you go and 
go straight to a permanent solution, you try an NG tube or some other temporary feeding tube first. Um, so the family took their child to Children's to have uh, that looked at. And so the child did have a an NG tube, a temporary feeding tube through his mm-hmm. nose put in. Um, <clears throat> and so from that, he actually got his weight back up to a little bit normal, um, maybe above normal. I don't know. It's kind of... Um, kind of confusing those details. Um, but then apparently, uh, the, the GI doctor, uh, that they had, that they had had since Mm -hmm. 2015, um, this was a doctor that while, um, they were in the hospital, Drake was admitted to the hospital sometime. And according to the family, uh, he refused to see them while he was in the hospital. Okay. And they said that the doctor said that, uh, he didn't want to see the child because he was sick. Hmm. Um, so he didn't come into the room or anything to look at him. And so that was part of the reason. Um, I guess there are some other reasons too. I don't know exactly all the details behind that. But the the family fired that GI doctor. Hmm. And so they moved to another GI doctor. Um, and then, of course, they're continuing this process of, okay, Drake needs a permanent feeding tube. And so they're asking for that. Or, or they you know, asking the doctors if he needs that. And so I guess the, the next doctor, and by the way, the doctors that they changed to, it wasn't like a doctor at a different hospital. It was a doctor right in the same hospital. Got it. So they're not, so it's just another GI doctor. There another GI doctor at the same clinic, um, and children's hospital. And so, um, apparently I don't know, according to the family, that that GI doctor submitted an order for a G tube, uh, for Drake. And so based on that order, they're like, okay, so then the doctors prove of this. So they go ahead and think that he needs a G-tube. Um, and so, you know, somewhere along then, the, the family also files a complaint with the hospital um, that the doctors are not treating their son well. And so the, the hospital says they'll look into it. Um, and they said they'll, they'll look over it in 45 days. On the 46th day, of course, that's when Drake was removed. Um, so I don't know if that was just a coincidence of timing or mm-hmm. not, but it's interesting. But that's where, that's where the, the this is the treatment that all of this controversy mm-hmm. stems from. Yes. And so, uh, <clears throat> at this point, CPS is case that they're making to the judge that they believe that Jake should remain in their custody while they do. Are they... Taking med- are, is there intention to, to do medical procedures on him? Are, are they claiming that his weight has increased since they've had him? What Do, do we know anything yeah. about that? Um, so at the hearing, um, what was said was, of course, after Drake was removed from the home, they took him yep. immediately to the hospital. Yep. Um, so that happened right away. And uh, according to the hearing, there were some controversies over like how his health has changed since then. And so there are a few different points that were brought up. Um, most notably was uh, the weight difference. He had lost six pounds from the time of the removal to the time of the hearing. Um, so he had lost weight. He had lost six pounds. Uh, according to the people who testified, that was because um, th- they removed the NG tube. Uh-huh. And so he wasn't being fed as much through he, as he was when he had the NG yes. tube. And so they were saying that it was more like he was plateauing to a normal weight. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, and so the, I want to go back to this other thing and, and, you know, being somebody who's followed 
CPS issues and CPS cases, you know, there's an interesting thing when it comes to um, inflicting trauma on a child, right? We have kind of an understanding of uh, the effects that trauma has on children and, and abuse creates trauma. We know that if, mm-hmm. if a child is sexually abused, physically abused, neglected, starved, um, it has, you know, some long lasting effects on it. And we mm-hmm. see those effects <clears throat> Um, of trauma that they have on on children when when that happens at a young age, but um, and I know Representative James Frank, who's kind of a uh, the leading advocate, uh, probably voice when it comes to CPS issues in the legislature, the chairman of Human Services. One of the points I think he made in one of his hearings at one point is the fact that uh, the one problem we have is that if a child has not been traumatized because they have not been abused. There's another instance which does cause childhood trauma, and that's the removal of the child from the home. And so trauma can be inflicted on a child. If it hasn't been inflicted, CPS mm-hmm. can inflict it on a child. I mean, the, you know, if, mm-hmm. if most of us probably grew up in, in various different household situations, but the reality is when a child gets taken out of a home, if they have not experienced trauma in their life, they just did at that point because the process of taking a child out of a home where they are loved by both parents and clearly being fed, if anything, the accusations that he's being overfed, you know, he's mm-hmm. not, he's definitely not being starved or abused in that situation. So I know that there are a lot of different advocates like Krista McIntyre and Senator Hall and the homeschool coalition. What is their position? What are the things that they're saying when it comes to this whole controversy? Yeah, I think uh, some of the, like the main thing that they, they're emphasizing is that there needs to be due process. Um, there needs to be, uh, of, of course, it's it's CPS policy mm-hmm. to do everything that they can to avoid removal. Mm. Like before, like even if there is a legitimate case of abuse, they should do yeah. everything that they can, like before removing the child, so that they avoid um, inflicting that trauma. Mm. Uh, I talked to a a CPS reform advocate who mm-hmm. actually works with uh, several Democratic legislatures in the past. Okay. And uh, what she was saying was, yeah, CPS has all these policies and procedures, but they don't put it in practice all the time. Hmm. And so um, it's really trying to get them to put it into practice that's going to be challenging. And part of the problem that that arises is because the CPS caseworkers who are working on the case, mm-hmm. um, there's they're oftentimes they have a heavy caseload or they're underpaid or you know there's all these other reasons. But I think the one that really stood out to me most was that the CPS caseworkers have this mentality of we need to do everything for the child's safety. Mm-hmm. Like they put the child's safety first, which mm-hmm. they should, um, but they tend to err on the side of safety. So in this instance, uh, like we have, like, okay, let's say that there is a legitimate case of medical child abuse Mm -hmm. and the child is put in harm. And let's say hypothetically that even having this G-tube, you know, could actually kill the child. Then, of course, they're going to want to remove the child. Yes. And so they err on the side of safety. Mm -hmm. And so instead of taking the time to go through through the process and and do it as, as policy states, in practice, what they do is they err on the side of safety and they say, no, we need to do everything that we can to like get the child out of there into yep. a safer space. Yep. No, that makes sense. Now, this uh, story is, is uh, I think, controversy around this and kind of the broader discussion that is created about CPS's authority and their practice and what, how they do or do not operate and whether they do or do not um, you know, re- respect due process within the parental rights perspective 
is um, kind of created a lot of conversation that I don't think I've seen in Texas for for quite some time. So um, tell us what the next couple dates in this particular case are, because um, I know that some people are going to continue mm-hmm. to follow this conver- this conversation <clears throat> and this story. Yeah, so there's definitely some things that are going to be happening soon. Right now, the lawyers are... Um, working at submitting a request for writ of mandamus. Um, they were, they started that process earlier this week. I don't know where they are and I haven't gotten an update yet. Um, but basically what that does is it appeals the, the court's decision to, okay. uh, grant CPS temporary, uh, custody, custody of the child. Okay. And so, and is there a no, there's <clears throat> another hearing that will also take place yes. at some point, just an automatic yeah. one. Yeah. So there's an automatic one, uh, that was scheduled for August 9th. Okay. And uh, according to the lawyer that I, uh, who talked to me, he said that um, it's basically a the hearing on the ninth is basically operating under the assumption that the parents are guilty of Munchausen or medical child abuse. Got it. Got it. And so they're still going through this process. On so there's two things going on right now. There's the the hearing, the automatic hearing, and then they're also trying to appeal it and say no, the family's innocent. Got it. Okay. Understood. Um, I know, uh, another issue that you have done some writing about since you showed up, you got to show up at the right time in Texas. Um, Mm -hmm. there was a, uh, a sanctuary city for the unborn. Uh, and, uh, we've Mm -hmm. actually talked about Wascom, so I don't think you need to talk to talk about that too much, but we basically have a a city in East Texas that decided to, um, create themselves a a little sanctuary city for the unborn. And this is coming as a result of, uh, Louisiana having stronger Mm pro-life laws than Texas. And so you have the chance for abortion clinics to actually look at relocating to Texas to be kind of a, um, you know, a a tourist attraction, you know, for people Mm -hmm. to come over and and have their abortions here. So you have this little East Texas city that says, we're going to ban abortions within our city limits so that an abortion clinic cannot move over to Texas, set up shop, and then market to Louisiana women to come, uh, you know, end the lives of their children here in, in this state. Um, I think one thing that you wrote about uh, that I didn't see in other publications was also the language that Representative Stickland added in to um, legislation this last session when it came to the Planned Parenthood and whether it could or couldn't contract with cities or counties or really whether cities Mm -hmm. or counties could contract with any abortion provider. And uh, Representative Stickland added language in there with an amendment that basically said that nothing within this section prohibits the city from banning abortion, which Mm -hmm. to my understanding is the only place in code that really references this Mm -hmm. potential sanctuary city. And so um, all of a sudden you have even language in state law that reads such that it seems that there, it might be permissible for a city to Mm -hmm. ban um, abortion. So then uh, mineral wells considered this same Mm -hmm. action. And I know there was discussion in Abilene last night. Why don't you just kind of, uh, I don't know if this is something that people see going on in cities across Texas, but why don't you give us a little bit of your insight from the writing you've done on it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I read the article that uh, our previous reporter here, uh, wrote about Wascom. Yes. That's um, right. Tony wrote about that. Yep. <clears throat> Good article. And so that happened last month. Wascom was the yes. first to do that. Uh, and then this month we've seen a lot more action. Uh, last week, of course, there was mineral wells, as you mentioned, a mayor brought that to the city council and yep. he proposed to consider the ordinance. Yes. And, uh, the council on a five, two decision decided to reject even considering that ordinance. 
Um, and then this week we've seen some movement in two different cities. Uh, Gilmer is a small town kind of close to Wascom, um, okay. over in that area. Yep. And then, uh, Abilene, which is further West. Um, and so both of these are not, they haven't been put onto the agenda or anything. So they're not being formally considered by Got the city it. at this point. Okay. Uh, what they what has happened has been several citizens from both spots have gone to the city council meetings and are prompting the city councils to consider these ordinances. Um, so in Gilmer, uh, that was kind of led by uh, Mark Lee Dixon, who okay. was kind of instrumental in doing it in Wascom. The Wascom. Yep. So um, and he's <clears throat> involved. Uh, is there a pro life organization that he's involved with? Yes, he's the director of East Texas Right to Life. Okay, I believe. And that's kind of a local subsidiary of Texas Right to Life. Is the... it's actually different? Okay. Um, so yeah, completely different organization, Got but it. they they have been working together. Oh, good. So yep, <clears throat> yeah. awesome. So so he now takes this issue to Gilmer, and then there's also some local citizens. Yeah, and then a few Abilene. other people in Gilmer had done that too, and then um, and then in Abilene, um, the person who's kind of leading the charge there is Charles Byrne. Okay, uh, I believe he had formerly ran for city council. Okay, um, and so. There were there were several people there who spoke out at the city council meeting. I watched it on a live stream that they had. Um, watched the entire live stream last night, so it worked fine for three hours. <laughs> and then um, I heard Charles Burns' speech, and then Texas Right to Life, a, a representative from them, got up to speak. And uh, the live stream cut out. Okay, which I thought was kind of odd. Yeah, um, it was right around the three hour mark, so I don't yeah. know if there was like some kind of technical detail. Yep, um, because the feed did come back on like ten minutes later. And there were still people giving speeches. So, okay. So how? So it was a three. Was that three hours of speeches on this issue, or was that no? Just the normal no, that was just the normal meeting. city council meeting. Okay. Um, so they didn't they sh- they didn't start talking about about um, the issue until the public comment section right Got at it. the end. Got it. And so it looks <clears> like these local organizers and some of these different pro life activists across Texas are seeing this as a way that they can prompt local officials to take action, yeah. especially having Wascom as kind of yes. an example to point to. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. And uh, the main criticism I know in Mineral Wells that came up was kind of a lawsuit cost, economic development. What are, yes. what are some of the... Yeah, I think those are the, the the two big things that people are saying. Um, so I think the, the lesser issue, of course, the Mineral Wells Chamber of Commerce came out against it and they're saying basically, um, you know, this could uh, cause boycotts and businesses mm-hmm. leaving like we've seen in Georgia or Alabama, yep. supposedly. And um, so I, I actually called uh, Wascom City Council yesterday and I'm like, hey, like, have you guys seen any businesses leave or threaten to leave? Yes. No, <laughs> not to our knowledge. Um, so it hasn't affected them. Yep. Um, so I, I don't think that that's really quite a founded argument. Maybe there is some merit if you have big mm-hmm. businesses that are that have some pressure put on them yep. from the left or boardroom yep. or whatever. Uh, then the other thing that I think is a little bit more legitimate fear that people have is it opens the city up to lawsuits mm-hmm. um, because it does go against court precedent. It does go against Roe v. Wade. Um, which these the pro-life advocates are saying, yeah, Roe v. Wade was wrong. It mm-hmm. should be overturned. Um, or actually what they're saying is we should ignore it because it's wrong. Okay. Um, and so their, their concern, the, the critics are concerned that it opens the city up to a lawsuit and then that's going to cost lots and lots of money and it's going to put a lot of bad publicity on the city, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Well, that um, I think that 
is another kind of like similar to the CPS situation seems like an issue that's not going away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if anything, it seems to start snowballing. So Mm -hmm. I would assume that uh, Texans across the state should, uh, you know, shouldn't be surprised if conversations Mm -hmm. like this start happening within their cities, um, depending on where they're at, because it seems Mm -hmm. like the pro-life activists across the state that have seen this are starting to take it Mm -hmm. and try to get action done on a local level. So that will be um, very interesting to follow. So you are new to Texas. You've come here. You've started right at the mm-hmm. Texan. You've been thrown into sanctuary cities for unborn children and CPS, parental rights mm-hmm. issues. What is your kind of overall take since you've been here in the Lone Star State? No, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Texas is great. Um, everything's bigger here. Yes. <laughs> the barbecue is fantastic. Awesome. Um, I don't know how I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm used to the Oklahoma barbecue. Okay. So I'm a little bit partial to that. What's the but... difference? What do I mean? What? Other than I think, being better barbecue, uh, that's the... I think te- Oklahoma is tends to be maybe a little bit sweeter barbecue. Okay. okay. Um, Got it. I don't know. Or maybe it's just the the restaurant that I went to, Rib Crib. Fantastic. Okay. I don't think they have any in Texas. So. Okay. Well, hopefully you can find some phenomenal ribs within a short distance yes. that you can uh, truly enjoy. But Daniel, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us a little bit of information on the sanctuary city issues and the CPS uh, contrary that's going on. If you want to follow uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel, where can people follow you on Twitter and where with me? Yeah. So uh, my Twitter is Daniel J friend. Okay. Um, and then of course, and spelled like friends, right? Yes. F-R- friend. I am your friend, F-R-I-N-D. There you go. And um, I know that you'll continue to write on some updates regarding all these mm-hmm. issues. So people can follow him on Twitter and go to the Texan.news mm-hmm. to read more about what he's writing out there and all the other content that the Texan is putting out. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us yeah, today. I thank really you for having me. Your time. Thank Glad you. to be here. Great conversation. I'm really grateful for Daniel to come on. Um, For those of you who have listened through the whole conversation, I'm grateful. Thank you so much for uh, continuing to engage in the content we're putting out there. Guys, when it comes to parental rights and uh, all of those controversies surrounding, know that I think this issue is going to be continually talked about in a conversation we're going to have through 2021. I think these are um, policies that will be debated and discussed during the next legislative session when it comes to CPS's authority, its chances for abusing them. I think we have a chance to see interim hearings on issues with CPS. And so uh, definitely something that you should be keeping your eye on, keeping um, you know in tune. There's some excellent places to go, but the two people that are talking about this the most are the Texas Homeschool Coalition themselves. So you can go there and follow the case with Jeremy Newman and Tim Lambert there, or you can go to the Texan, the Texan.news and uh, follow the story there. I know Daniel has written three or four stories on this and has written some follow-up uh, stories as well. So thank you so much for tuning in to the conversation today. If you like the content we're continuing to push out, please consider just subscribing so that this automatically comes to your uh, phone or, uh, you know, wherever you get your podcast. Also, uh, leave a review, just writing something in there about Texas politics and um, the information we're putting out there helps us within the different algorithms for our podcast to rank when people are searching for information out there. So thank you so much for staying engaged. Uh, you can go to lukemacias.com and give us your email and that will mean that we can email you new podcast episodes as they come out weekly. Thank you so much and God bless. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemacias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter. 
and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.